As many of you know, actually, during the season of Advent, it's actually a season that around the world it celebrates. And Advent is this word that means arrival or waiting. And it connotes kind of the longing and the expectancy that we as Christians have of God coming in the flesh. I mean, that's the beautiful thing about the Christmas story. It's this idea that God is not just some God out there, but he's actually a God who has come close, who's who's taken on flesh. And this is what we call the incarnation, and this is what the Christmas season is all about. Now, as we've been talking about it, though, uh, we've actually been exploring in in the Gospel of Matthew, which is the historical account of Jesus, about all the different ways in which it was such an unexpected way that Jesus has come to us. A couple of weeks ago, we examined kind of the the genealogy, the family history of Jesus, how unexpected and how imperfect it was as a way of inviting uh, really all people to come to the table and to experience the wonder of who this Jesus is. Last week, Jordan preached on this message about how even in difficult circumstances for Joseph, for instance, or even for the collective people of Israel, that God somehow still weaves and works his purposes out in this unexpected way. And today we're going to continue in this theme of the unexpected Messiah, or the one who's going to deliver the people of Israel. That's what the people longed for. And it's the unexpected Messiah. And what we're going to look at is um, really the story of three different people when it comes to this theme of revelation and response. Um, Can I hear you say revelation and response? Now, here's what I mean by that. There's actually going to be ways in which God reveals himself to three different people. And the question is, how do these three different people or three different parties actually respond? So the first group I'd like to turn to, or the first, first person, rather, is actually King Herod. Check out this passage. Look at what it says as it starts. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod. Now, he's a king, but he's actually like a puppet governor of Rome was the one in power. Judea was the area in which King Herod governed as a puppet governor of Rome. Now, King Herod was someone, though, who even though he was a puppet governor, he had a number of different uh, immaculate projects. In fact, he was known as Herod the Great because even today there are some ruins related to some of the things that he did and created architecturally, some buildings that were created and stadiums and that sort of thing. And so King Herod then was someone who had power amongst the Jews and Judea, but he was still under Rome. And that's why he's considered a king of this area. Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. Now, why is he troubled? The reason he's troubled, because no matter how much King Herod had actually uh, amassed, and no matter how, much, how, much, how many things he had accomplished, King Herod was also known as someone who was incredibly insecure. Uh, he killed several of his ten wives. He killed his father-in-law, and he killed three different sons. Now, the reason why he killed all of them was because of his own insecurity, because each one of them somehow represented a threat to his power. So history tells us then that King Herod was someone who had all this power but was so self-absorbed that he was insecure whenever anything would threaten that kind of power or well-being for himself. So you can imagine, so he hears this word, oh my goodness, he hears from these magi, there's this king of the Jews that's to be born. So immediately, it's, it's so on brand for King Herod, he responds in this way because he's like, who's this king of the Jews? He's disturbed. Uh, In fact, later we find out that he enacts a decree to kill all the young boys. Why? Because he's threatened by the news of Jesus. 
when he had called, look at what it says. Um, when he talks to the teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod, look at what he does. He called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I may too go and worship him. Now, later we find out that Magi, they, they get wind of Herod's ambitions and the reason, the real reason why he wants to find out who this baby is. And, and of course, we find out later that King Herod, what he would do is he would enact this decree to, to kill all the young boys in that area in Bethlehem. Now, isn't that stunning? Now, this first person then, King Herod, it's revealed to him that somehow God is going to move miraculously. He knows this. He's been told this from the Magi. He starts and he even asks the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and they actually give him true and real information. But here's the thing. Here King Herod is. He has access to all this information. He has all the power in the world. He could go to Bethlehem himself. He could stay with the Magi himself. But how does he respond? He responds with insecurity, self-absorption. God is revealing himself to Herod, and yet his response is one of insecurity and even rejection of who God might be. Now, that is stunning. But check this out. There's another group of people here in this story that I want to reveal to us. Look, look at this next passage, or it's actually the same passage. Remember, when King Herod had heard this, he was disturbed because he's insecure, self-absorbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. Now, check this out. This other group of people, there's King Herod, and then there's the chief priests and teachers of the law. These people are like the religious establishment. They knew the scriptures inside and out. They prayed rigorously and religiously. They were people that were well-respected. I mean, if anyone, if you were to say, who knows God the best? It was clearly these chief priests and teachers of the law. These were the folks who were respected. They knew the scriptures. And in fact, look at what happens, right? When Herod asks them, tell me about the Messiah, look at how they respond. They're like, oh, this is what's been written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. They actually give him accurate information. They're like, Herod, hey, here's the information. Here's, in our pouring over of the scriptures, here's what we know, is that this ruler will come out of Bethlehem. Now, here's what's so astounding. Here they are, chief priests and teachers of the law. They're the religious establishment. They're the ones who have been best educated in seminaries and trained in what it means to preach and to teach. They're the people who have been like mouthpieces of who God is. In fact, they know the accurate information. They're the religious ones who grew up going to church every single week. They're the ones who know scripture, have memorized it, can actually rehash it, recite it. They're the ones who wrote the songs, Oh, Come, Let Us Adore Him. That might be a stretch. But you know what I'm saying? They're the ones who, yeah, of course, this Christmas story, this news about Jesus, they've got it down pat. 
And notice what's so astounding here. These chief priests and the teachers of law, even though they're experts in religion, they somehow miss Jesus. Somehow, they're people who grew up going to church every single week or synagogue every single week. They're the people who knew everything about everything about religion and tradition. And what's so stunning about this moment, in some ways, King Herod, you to understand, super self-absorbed, but the chief priests and the teachers of the law who know everything about the scriptures, who are used to reciting and preaching. You know, as I was thinking about the equivalent of chief priests and teachers of law today, it's really myself. It's really, not that I would call myself a chief priest, um, but it's really the people who stand here and preach and teach about who this Jesus person is. It's the people who maybe know the scriptures and have studied the scriptures. And what's so stunning, it's these religious people who are also shown to miss Jesus. Which brings us to the third and unexpected group. Check this out. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, magi from the east, magi is this plural word, we don't know if it was three wise men, which is often depicted in these different plays, or whether it was multiple wise men and their entourages. But it says magi, which is plural, from the east, who have very little kind of knowledge, it would seem, of the Old Testament scriptures. There are these foreigners from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? And look at what it says. We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. After they had heard the king, they went on their way and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed on coming to the house. They saw the child with his mother Mary and they bowed down and worshiped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So here's the juxtaposition. There's Herod who has all the power and who has access to all this information. Then there's the chief priests and the teachers of the law who know everything, the precision of even where this Messiah was to be born in Bethlehem. And then we get this story of magi from the east, these foreigners, and they have no access to these prophetic words. In fact, what do they have? A star. Like, seriously? Like a star? Like, that's what leads you to Jesus? I mean, isn't this stunning? Chief priests and teachers of the law, they have the scriptures, the holy scriptures. They read this. And here there are these magi, these wise men and women, this group, this entourage from the east that somehow, somehow are able to find Jesus because of a star. In other words, it's like they're astrologers from the east who they've been revealed to them, it's been revealed that Jesus is here. And what happens? They respond to that revelation to the star, and they actually respond with worship. Now, this is absolutely stunning. What do you mean? Like, these astrologers? Like, the hero in this story are not the people who grew up attending Sunday school, grew up attending church services. Actually, 
It's these magi, these astrologers, who most of us would kind of shun from and be like, no way, there's no way that God could reveal himself through them. Now, here's the reality. Some of you right now, maybe you've grown up in church and immediately there's this anxiety that's beginning to swell. Like, oh my goodness, is Drew going to go there? Is he gonna, he's he's going to talk about like astrology and is that, is that what he's going to talk about? But here's what's so astounding. And here's the revelation of this story. Is that God can use anything. He can use anything. Even a star to reveal himself to us. Now, of course, there's the scriptures, of course, there's prayer, of course, there's these gatherings, but here's what's so astounding. It's these astrologers from the east who somehow are able to come and respond in this way. God can use anything. There's generally two different categories uh, that theologians talk about when it comes to revelation. Uh, The first category is called general revelation. General revelation. And the second category is called special revelation. Now, here's the thing about general revelation. Uh, General revelation is the kind of revelation where God, he reveals himself to all people, whether you're Christian or you're not, whether you're religious or you're not. There's a way that God makes himself known to everyone. Check out these passages in Psalm chapter 19, verses 1 to 3. Look at what it says. It says, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. This is what general revelation is. The heavens declare who God is, the wonders of who he is. Whether you're a Christian or you're not, when you stand at the precipice of uh, the Grand Canyon and you look out, again, whether you're religious or you're not, whatever your background might be, There's a sense of wonder and awe that comes over every single one of us by virtue of just being human. Or maybe it's not Grand Canyon and you haven't been there before, but maybe it's the Niagara Falls. And maybe it's not Niagara Falls. Maybe it's Central Park. Uh, I don't know, wherever it might be. But like, have you ever been in a place where you're just in awe of the heavens? And what the psalmist is writing is the wonder and the revelation of who God is. That's accessible to everyone. Now, Paul would later write this also in the, book of, in, in the book of Romans. Look at what he says in his letter. He wrote, writes, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. Do you see what he's saying? General revelation is the kind of revelation that comes to everyone. It's the star that appears to the magi in the east. It's the way that God is trying to use anything to get our attention, to reveal himself to us. Now, here's the thing, though. What is special revelation? Special revelation is Jesus, who's come as the revealed word of God. You see, the star and the magi, ultimately, where does this star lead? It leads to Jesus. And this is a special revelation. This is why in John chapter 1, it would say, uh, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Because this is what we believe, that Jesus himself, God himself, is this special revelation now that gives meaning to the way that we see general revelation, to the way that we interpret what happens in the world. Uh, When I was in seminary, seminary is like a grad school for uh, learning theology and the Bible and things like that. And when I was in seminary, I'll never forget uh, my theology professor. 
he came in and he said, I've been listening to this song on the radio. Uh, anyone listen to the radio anymore? All right, just a couple of you all. Thank you. <laughs> um, so uh, he, he said, I've been listening to this song on the radio. And he, he said, when I heard this song, it just came over me and I just started to weep because it spoke of the truth and power of the good news of Jesus. And so we're like, you know, we're leaning in because we're like, what is this song, you know? And so he starts to read these lyrics, and I'm going to read them for you right now. Every day is so wonderful. Then suddenly it's hard to breathe. Now and then I get insecure from all the pain. I'm so ashamed. (laughs) I am beautiful no matter what they say. Words can't bring me down. I am beautiful in every single way. Yes, words can't bring me down. Oh, no, so don't you bring me down today. So he's, like, reading these lyrics to us, and he's, like, and he starts, like, tearing up. He's, like, this is the gospel. And, and we're all, like, that's awesome. <laughs> And then all of a sudden, he's reciting these words. And he's saying, this is this prominent theologian. Her name is Christina Aguilera, <laughs> singing beautiful. What he was doing was he was essentially saying, this is the general revelation that's been given, this longing for how do I begin to have this source of identity that means that the other people around me they don't have any bearing on the fluctuations of my own sense of self and security. You know, as I was thinking about kind of the modern poets of today, um, I was thinking of actually some more songs. So here's another one. Let me know if you've heard this one before. I go on too many dates, but I can't make them stay. At least, at least that's what people say. Mm-mm. That's what people say. Mm-mm. But I keep cruising, can't stop, won't stop moving. It's like I got this music in my mind saying it's going to be all right. Because the player's going to play, 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 play. And the hater's going to hate, hate. Karn, is this good? What do you think? Hate, 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 hate. Baby, I'm just going to. I shake it off. Heartbreaker's going to break, 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 break. The faker's got to, baby, I'm just going to shake it off, shake it off. Wow. Oh, wow. We were about to get a karaoke going on in here. Yeah. Some of you are like, this is so uncomfortable right now. <laughs> is you really going to start dancing? Uh, anyhow, um, I mean, what's, what's Taylor Swift, another modern theologian? What is she saying, right? She's talking about how do we live in this manner of being free from what other people think, the haters, the players. How do we do this? And see, this is the longing of the human spirit. This is the general revelation that is revealed to all of us as human beings. And the special revelation is there is this God who comes to us, who gives us a sense of security that doesn't have to be generated from within or from a community of others, but instead is generated from this the God of the universe who loves us and gave his son for us. 
Now, do you see how stunning this is? Some of you are, I, I know, you're like, Drew, is all you listen to teenage pop female vocalists? Um, just to somehow like inch towards a little bit more credibility. There's, here's, here's a quote from a lyric from Kendrick Lamar. That's right, you're just feeling a little, yeah. Uh, I'm hoping that I can borrow a peace of mind. I'm behind on what's really important. I didn't write more lyrics there, just that one's good enough, right? Like that's, it's again the longing of the human spirit. This is the general revelation that comes to all of us of what it means to be a human being. And God uses anything, anything. He can use anything to reveal himself to us. Revelation and response. When we think about what it means to, for God to reveal himself. King Herod has this revelation, but he responds. He's so self-absorbed, he misses it completely. The, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, they are so well-versed, so prim and proper. They've done everything right, but that, all it's become to them is just this rote tradition that they actually miss the person of Jesus. Can you imagine? They know all the accurate details, and yet they've missed it. They've been given this revelation. The question is, how do they respond? And yet there's these magi from the east, these astrologers who somehow are just following a star. God can use anything to reveal himself to us. You see, God is constantly revealing himself to us. The question for me and for you today is, how are we responding? God is constantly trying to get your attention in any possible way. And the question is, how are you responding? I know in this Christmas season and in most seasons, I get so distracted by life. The demands of my family, the world around me, my friends, the church, whatever it might be, there's so many ways I get so distracted. And yet God is constantly revealing himself. And I get lost in my own self-absorption like Herod, or I get lost in just kind of the rote traditions that I get used to. And somehow I can miss Jesus as a result. And the question for me and for you is, what if God's been trying to get your attention? Even right now, he's trying to get your attention. There's all sorts of ways. There's all sorts of presents you need to buy. There's all sorts of uh, kind of conflicts that you're in. There's all sorts of addictions that you carry today. There's all sorts of ways in which we are so distracted by life and the world around us. And today, what if today was the day when God's trying to get your attention? He's trying to say, I can use anything, even a Taylor Swift song, or especially a Taylor Swift song, to get your attention in mine, to ask you and me, like, how will you respond God's revealing himself all the time. And you see special revelation, what it does is it leads us to Jesus. Because look at what happens. Look at what happens to the Magi. Look at how this passage ends. It says, they bowed down and worshiped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. <laughs> Don't you see what happens? These Magi, these total foreigners within this story, somehow they follow this star because God can use anything, this general revelation. And it's led to the special revelation of who Jesus is. They bow down to the person of Jesus, and they worship, and they offer their gifts. 
It's a way in some ways that general revelation has led them to the special revelation of Jesus. And it's in Jesus then they begin to worship. Now here's what's so stunning. Because all the different ways in which people tell us about what religion is like and what God is like. Because the question is, when God is revealing himself to us, then yes, how are we to respond? Most of us, this is what we've grown up with, even if you're not religious, even if you didn't grow up going to church. Most of us, we respond by, we think that God is pleased with us when somehow we end up doing better or fixing ourselves up or going to church or listening to that preacher person or reading the Bible. And all of these things might be good things. And yet here's the the wonder of the Christian message and the wonder of the gospel, the good news of Jesus. See, because Christmas is about how God has come to us in the flesh. God has made the first move. Remember, it's not response and then revelation. It's actually revelation and response. God reveals himself to us. He's actually sent Jesus in the flesh, and he does this. Why does he do that? Why does he make the first move? Why? Because what we learn about who God is is that God has never been a God about vindictiveness, trying to get you to do things so that you would reach out to him. No. He's a God of great love a God who would come after you, a God who would seek you, a God who would want to make himself known to you. And that's why, aside from the creation and from general revelation that he would give, he would send Jesus, God incarnate in the flesh, so that you might know that he is a God who has come toward you. He is a God who is for you. He is a God who loves you. And what Jesus would do is he would live and die on your behalf and on mine to show us that he's the kind of God whose love is so immense and great for you and me that he would actually give his life for you and for me. And how do we respond to this then, right? Like, well, okay, well, what's the response to that? How do you respond to grace? How do you respond to this incredible way of Jesus that invites us to have this response to the revelation of God and who he is? We simply respond by, giving him the worth that he deserves by worshiping him, by saying, yes, God, I want to worship you. I want to give you the place in my life. I want you to take preeminence in my life. I want you more than anything. It's not like you have to earn this. It's actually you get to worship him. You get to, and I get to say, God, I want you. When it comes to my finances during this Christmas season, when it comes to the ways that I live my life with my family, I want you to be preeminent over my life. When it comes to my relationships and some of the conflicts they're in and some of the pain they're in, when it comes to my addictions, when it comes to my depression, when it comes to all these different things, I come and I want you to be the center of my life. And I want to come and cry out to you because you don't want someone who's necessarily perfect and got it all together. Instead, you want someone just to call out to you. You want someone to respond to the revelation that you've given and to say, yes, God, I want you. So the question for you and for me today is, like, do you want more of God? Do you want God to be the center of everything, especially in this Christmas season? Or are you going to be lost in your self-absorption like, like Herod? Or am I going to be lost in my kind of like rote traditional religiosity? What does it look like for each one of us to come to him and to meet him, the true and living God? 